Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It is Tuesday, May the 11th. Glad to be talking Gamecocks here on the podcast. The number one ranked podcast in the Gamecock market, by the way. Not to brag, I don't do the rankings, but uh, that's more of a reflection of you guys that uh, care about what I have to say uh, each and every episode. And certainly want to appreciate, uh, send appreciation uh, to you guys for that. Uh, certainly is a uh, an honor, I think, uh, in this wonderful market that we have, University of South Carolina Athletics. Uh, some recruiting news right off the top. Um, you know, we had the welcome home tweet last week. Uh, I'm not saying who it is, <laughs> but I'll say three-star defensive back Kawan Banks from Tallahassee, Florida, got Godby a player Torian Gray really likes, has decided to make a commitment on Friday. And I have entered a crystal ball prediction with a uh, a confidence level of nine <laughs> on it. Uh, South Carolina, Maryland, West Virginia are the three. I, you know, I, I want to kind of transition into this. Um, excuse me, I had a little bit of hiccups there. Uh, recruiting Florida, uh, I, I think, is one thing that, you know, has always done the Gamecocks well. You know, you, you sort of think about it, and not at a 100% clip, but, you know, you, you think back to the days of, of Antonio Allen. Stephen Garcia came out of Florida. Rashad Fenton came out of Florida. Chris Lamont came out of Florida. Um, you, you know, Ace Sanders is a Floridian. Uh, Gamecocks over time, you know, through time, have done pretty well, uh, I think, as far as recruiting Florida goes. The last staff, uh, I think if, if there was something that you look at and you go, well, maybe they could have done a little better, I think particularly outside of offensive linemen from South Florida, which uh, I thought Eric Wolford did a good job of plucking some guys from down there. You know, the Gamecocks didn't really do as well in, in South Florida uh, with Travaris Robinson recruiting uh, as I thought. But I think that this past staff compared to the Spurrier staff, actually recruited Georgia a lot better in terms of taking quality guys. And, and you think about the number of quality guys from the state of Georgia, this staff, uh, the previous staff signed uh, at most positions, not all, but most positions. Um, and I think that kind of made up for it a little bit, but this staff, you know, Torian Gray was at the university of Florida. He, he's a native of Lakeland uh, recruited Florida heavily when he was at Virginia tech, obviously at UF twice recruited the state pretty well. Justin Stepp, you know, when he was in Arkansas, they would go into Florida and win, win some battles. Uh, so this staff sort of set up for it when Beamer was at South Carolina the first time. Obviously, the Gamecocks got a lot of good players uh, from that state. And so uh, I think it's smart. And I think it's smart for other reasons than, hey, there's a lot of good players down there. Because right now, you look at the landscape, and whereas, you know, when I first started covering recruiting in the mid-2000s, it it was very, very difficult to beat one of the big three on top guys. And on top of that, they were taking the right guys. I mean, Florida, Florida State, Miami would annually divvy up, you know, the top 
33% of the players uh, in that state. Um, you know, Florida State sometimes would go national and you'd get a guy here or there. Uh, Ronald Patrick comes to mind uh, in that department. He had a Florida State offer, but they ended up kind of filling up at his spot. And so the Gamecocks were able to land him out of Cocoa, Florida. But, you know, you kind of had to wait around and see and, you know, and then getting battles with, with teams like Auburn and, and, and things like that to get guys. Well, it's not like that anymore. Number one, those three schools are not necessarily knocking it out of the park with evaluations. Now, I think that's going to change at Florida State here directly. I think at Florida, it doesn't matter because I think Mullen evaluates at a high level anyway. And, and you know, he got, you know, like he got the Kyle Pitts kid out of Pennsylvania. And, you know, you probably didn't think he had to go all the way to Pennsylvania to get him, but he was special. You know, and then they, they're that good at going and kind of finding guys. Uh, and then Miami's hit the transfer portal pretty hard. And that kind of seems to be what my man, Manny Diaz wants to do. So, and then you look at a roster like UCF and how successful they've been with keeping guys in state uh, and putting together good teams. And a lot of those guys can play. And, you know, I, I think it's a good deal given the landscape right now. And, uh, I think when you look at the fact that Alabama goes in there and, and raids the state for elite talent, uh, that shows a, a desire or a, 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 I guess, a um, a thought toward leaving the state of Florida, which used to not happen. It was just very, very difficult uh, to go in and, and pull a kid uh, out of that state. And, you know, if you, if you had, say, a high three-star kid that you really liked and then one of the big three came along and evaluated him and, and wanted to turn him. You, you're probably going to lose the guy, but that's not the case anymore. Lots of guys from Florida are leaving Florida. Uh, and so there's a lot of what you call low hanging fruit uh, in that state. Uh, and, and you look at it like that. And also uh, I think this, you know, South Carolina, uh, I believe is putting a premium on speed and athleticism. In fact, I know they are just talking to some people around, you know, the program, that that sort of quick twitch athleticism speed, and, and there's a bunch of it in that state, in the state of Florida. I mean, you you don't you don't have the potholes down there, maybe you know, outside of maybe recruiting Jacksonville at times, because you can you can kind of get into you know what I call a, a, a Georgia scenario where you have some guys that are over recruited that you know really aren't difference makers, but they've got a lot of offers and, and so you end up getting kind of sucked in. Um, and, and that's, that's produced a pretty high bust rate out of Jacksonville over the years. Not everybody that comes out of Jacksonville is a bust, but a lot of them, you know, a lot of them end up being that way. But outside of that area, I mean, you know, you, you don't have a huge bust rate, you know, you can go find a guy that's a legit, you know, athlete that, you know, other schools want that, that you can land. And so I, I think it's smart. I think that and sort of expanding the recruiting footprint North, uh, is smart. I think recruiting Alabama like they're doing smart. Um, it's a smart deal, and it's different than the previous staff, which which I thought, you know, the previous staff pretty, recruited pretty well. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really, I couldn't other than what I just said with you know maybe they should have gotten some more speed out of Florida, particularly a wide receiver. I, I think you you can you can probably have a lot of issues with wide receiver recruiting. Uh, looking back on it even missing on guys in the state of South Carolina that you should have gotten. Um, but uh, I also think that, 
you know, overall, you, you don't have much bad to say about that. Uh, but this is different. Uh, this is a different kind of strategy. It looks like they're going more north, south, up and down the Atlantic coast. And, and that makes sense. You know, when you're talking about going north, South Carolina is the closest SEC school to just about all points in the northeast. You're talking about going south. It's just a ride up 95. South Carolina, you know, you, you look sometimes at some of these guys from Florida that end up going to a West Virginia or a Maryland or, or someplace like that, and they end up in the NFL. And you're like, man, they got to drive through South Carolina to get there. Uh, and, and so it's smart. It's a smart deal. You look at the official visits that are scheduled for the summer. Right now there were six Floridians on that list. Um, seven if five-star Sam McCall, Florida State, commits end up visiting with his teammates, which is not official yet, but could be a possibility. Uh, and, you know, they're doing a good job, doing a good job down there. And Banks, you know, he's from Tallahassee, Godby. Uh, that's a place that puts out talent, like his film. Uh, could he be a corner? He's listed as a safety. Could he be a corner? Yeah, I, I think he moves around really well. Uh, and that's what Carolina needs. They need more guys that can kind of move and uh, make plays and, you know, that are athletic and all that back in the secondary, fast, quick twitch, that type of thing. So look for that announcement coming up Friday. I know it's been delayed, but uh, that could be another one there. And and looking at the class calculator, it's going to move South Carolina toward the top 25, probably around 27, 28, something like that. And, And all that obviously depends on, you know, who else commits to where else between now and then. I mean, that's just a fluid thing with the team rankings. But I think it gets South Carolina back in that range, uh, and that would be commit number five, uh, to where you're, you're kind of, you know, cooking with grease at that point. That That's kind of where this program normally recruits. Uh, I think everybody would like to have, you know, sort of a normal top 25-ish type recruiting class this year uh, to build on top of the young players they have on the roster. So, I, uh, you know, I I think that's a good thing. Uh, And I think that when you're talking about the defensive back position, uh, you know, and and you you don't have the guys in your state, you know, going into Florida is probably as good as anything. And and if they get banks here Friday as expected, you know, that's the second Florida DB they will have combined with Anthony Rose from Hallandale, who's actually having a pretty good spring and, you know, they're, they're different guys. Uh, Banks is 5'10", 170. Rose is 6'4", 185. So they're, they're different builds and stuff like that. But certainly pretty good players. So, I, I, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, that's that's a solid pickup. You know, that'll be another Florida guy. Can't go wrong in a lot of instances with that. Um, and you continue to build inroads. And I think that's a uh, that's a smart move. And Torrey and Gray knows how to get it done just because – you know, he's, he's done it before, you know, and he didn't just recruit at the University of Florida. You know, he recruited at Virginia Tech for 10 years. Obviously, those guys, you know, like to go under the radar and, and find players and, and, and end up put them in the NFL. Uh, that's kind of the tradition up there in Hokie land. But uh, and still is to a certain extent. You know, their two first rounders this year were not guys that I think they were both three star guys, not heavily recruited. Uh, at least in terms of the national offers. Now, the corner, Farley, South Carolina, really wanted him. Uh, I think he wanted him on offense, actually. Uh, I know Bobby Bentley was recruiting him hard. and For some reason, he just was never interested. But, uh, you know, Farley was a little bit different, North Carolina kid. But then the the kid out of 
Maryland they took the, the offensive lineman. I don't think had any other offers but Tech and went to Fork Union. So knowing how to do things like that, I think, is very beneficial for any staff at South Carolina, just because, especially right now, you know, it's tough to go with a kid that's not from the state head-to-head with Clemson and Georgia and Alabama and those schools. Not to say that they won't pick one off every now and then, but you got to sign 25 a class. Um, and so that's kind of what the deal is there. But so look for that, and I think that it's very smart uh, to recruit um, Florida uh, like they're doing. I, I, I look back, you know, like, like I said, on, on the players the Gamecocks have gotten out of that state, uh, and, and they've hit on some guys, you know, it, it's, it's been, uh, sort of one of those things, you know, and, and Fenton was the last Floridian to be drafted. You know, Hayden Hurst was from Florida looking back on it. Um, you know, you go all the way back a Sanders, like I mentioned, uh, you know, back, 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 you know, Antonio Allen, uh, back, back, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, you look back to, on the uh, 2007 class for the Gamecocks, heavy Floridian uh, presence uh, on that. But, you know, there were some guys that probably weren't, you know, exactly. I mean, there were 10 guys from Florida. I'll read them off to you. There are some guys, you know, Steven Garcia, check. Joseph Hills, for whatever reason, was a bust. Jameer Williams was a bust. Deion LaCorn, good freshman year, then fell off the radar. Matt Clemens was a bust. Antonio Allen, NFL, Dante Nichols, bust, Matt Williams, bust, R.K. Smith, didn't get in, and then Pat DeMarco, NFL. You know, they're batting about 500, and that's probably one of the largest classes from that state they've taken, you know, since I've been covering it, and that's an 07. That was Spurrier's third class that was ranked uh, seventh per 24-7 sports composite, fourth per ESPN, the the much ballyhooed, recruiting class featured a lot of Floridians and you know that's the last time I can remember that also that class also had a lot of North Carolina talent too but um you know and and like I said it was it was mixed results uh there were some guys that you know were highly rated that didn't exactly pan out but you know you look at the totality of that class and um you know there were enough guys that were three stars like Melvin Ingram (laughs) Lottie as your boy Kyle Nunn uh, you know, that ended up by uh, Patrick DeMarco, Akeem Auguste, uh came in and prep school. He was a four-star coming out of high school, but, you know, enough that panned out to where that, that kind of set the table and gave them a nice base uh, to go win the SEC East in 2010. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what you're looking for. And, you know, back then too, though, you could, I think they signed 31 that year. I mean, back then you could sign just about as many as you wanted. You just could only enroll so many. But um, you know, now they're limited to 25. So I don't, I don't know if they'll sign 10 Florida players this year. But uh, I do think that's a good state to go piece it together. Uh, Elliot Fry got released by the Falcons. Um, I think Elliot's probably not done playing NFL football, but wanted to uh, give him a shout-out. Really outstanding player, all-time leading scorer. Uh, Pat, uh, Parker White's kind of in striking distance with him if he can have a big year this year, but uh, uh, certainly wanted to mention that. Okay. So Dennis Dodd from CBS sports, who I like and admire um, puts out a uh, coaching higher grade 
um, list for CBS. And so here we go. And, and, and this was, um, you go through it. Andy Avalos from Boise State, B plus. Brian Harson, Auburn, A minus. Blake Anderson, B plus. Jed Fish is C. I thought Jed Fish was an atrocious hire for Arizona. Lance Leopold for Kansas, A minus. I agree with that. That's probably as good as they're going to do. Uh, probably better than they should be doing. Clark Lee at Vandy, a B. You know, we'll see about that. Terry Bowden, Louisiana Monroe, B minus. I, you know, I like Terry Bowden. And I think if you're Louisiana Monroe and you get him in there and get Rich Rodriguez to coordinate the offense, you know, I don't know that you're going to do much better. You know, Sarkeesian at Texas, A plus. I mean, I would have rated the Tom Herman higher an A plus too. Bush Jones, Arkansas State, B. Kane Womack, South Alabama, B. You know, Kane is uh, Dave Womack's son. Uh, by the way, uh, Jake Bentley is their starting quarterback now. And, and, I, and I, you know, he was the D.C. at Indiana. And um, I think we can all agree Indiana had a pretty good year <laughs> this past year. Uh, so, Kane Womack right there uh, as a B, and I got it. Charles Huff for Marshall, B-. minus. Uh, um, longtime running backs coach, you know, was the top recruiter in college football at Alabama, but I mean, the guy he replaced, Doc Holliday, 85 and 54 over 10 years up there at Marshall. They were always really good. South Carolina's got some, got their strength coach and offensive line coach. You know, I, is Charles Huff going to be able to take the herd to where their fans want to go? Um, I just don't, uh, I just don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know about that. And I also think that it's a, you know, nothing against Charles Her Huff, but it's it's a lot easier to recruit at Alabama than maybe to Marshall. And, and Doc Holliday did a great job of going and getting those guys to Marshall that didn't qualify otherwise that they could get in. I mean, is he going to be able to do that? I, I don't know. I just don't know. I like Charles Huff a lot, but, you know, B minus, that's, that's the deal. Will Hall, Southern Miss B, I'd have probably rated this an A because – he was the OC at Tulane uh, the past couple of years. And I, I've always thought this guy was a stud uh, offensive-wise, and Southern Miss needs to get better with that. So then you get to Beamer, C-. minus, But I guess that's the, you know, the surface-level thing here. Uh, one of the most talented and likable guys on his way up the ladder, but he's never been a coordinator, which I don't think matters. I think as a head coach, coordinator thing does not matter. Um, you know, unless you've got a guy that's like a savant um, on one side of the ball or the other. And, and, you know, you thought you were getting that with Will Muschamp. And, um, you know, you didn't get it on defense, obviously. And then in Spurrier, you know, you did get it on offense. I think that there were a lot of times, you know, Carolina go out there with – one receiver, a bad offensive line, a, a less than ideal situation at running back. And, you know, he calls some ball plays and they go up and down the field. Uh, that was kind of before the glory days when you had Connor Shaw and, and, and all those players, Lattimore and all those guys. Uh, and then they mentioned that Mike Bobo and Will Friend left. And, you know, I, I think some Gamecock fans don't care about that. Uh, they're actually probably glad, but um, I don't know. You know, I think Mike Bobo was a, 
outstanding, outstanding play caller. They mentioned two defenders transferred to Florida State, Robinson and Kier Thomas. Kier, to me, you know, Kier Thomas, if you remember, was committed to Florida State before they dropped him. He was committed to Brad Lawing, of all people. Uh, and then had to find a place to go, and Carolina swooped in and got him when Muschamp was first hired. You know, that guy's been in school like five, six years. So, for Kier, I, I don't I don't necessarily blame him for, hey, I've got one more year left thanks to COVID. I've been here a long time. I've got my degree. Uh, when I go try to help my home state school that I was originally committed to that I've always loved, uh, try to get better. You know, and then, of course, Jamie Robinson went there, and that's that's obviously a – a different matter and, and probably a loss that, you know, the Gamecocks will feel to a certain extent, just based and I'll say it again. I've heard they think that kid may be their best player. Of course, you know, like, look, you got to do it in the games too. I mean, Jamie had some really good games, but he had some games where he struggled as well. Uh, and you heard similar things about him practicing at South Carolina. So we'll see leading tackler, Ernest Jones declared for the draft and looks like Ernest made a good choice because he was a third rounder. Um, so, so they pile all that on Shane, which, you know, look, bad things happen, right? And, and it's not necessarily that any of these things are, 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 are bad, okay? Bad. Mm, this is bad, okay? I've been watching too much South Park. Um, you know, in and of themselves, I mean, I, I think collectively it looks like it was a rough start, and Beamer admits that. I, I think just like in life and sports and – Everything is bad. You know, things that are not perfect are going to happen, but it's how you respond. And the problem with this I have is that there's no mention of how they responded. And I guess, I mean, I guess if you want to be, you know, look at the other side of it, that, you know, you respond during the season. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's happened. So I, I don't, I don't like the never been a coordinator thing. Um, I agree. I mean, you know, there were defections galore, it says, upon his hiring. It is nothing like Tennessee. I mean, yes, South Carolina lost some guys that they could have used, especially Ernest Jones and the secondary, John Dixon and Jamie Robinson. You know, I, I think Horn was gone, and I think McQuamu was gone regardless. But, you know, yeah, could they have used it? Could this defense look a lot – the outlook on this defense look a lot better had Jones come back and Robinson come back and John Dixon come back? Absolutely. As far as the outlook. Um, you know, Mike Bobo, proven play caller. You don't really know what you're getting with Satterfield. I can buy that. You know, Will Friend to me, same guy as Greg Atkins, Eric. I mean, you know, same guy. I, I don't, I don't know that that was a net loss. Um, it probably looked a little bit. The optics probably were not that good, and that's why this was written. But you know, I, I just think you know, with, with Beamer, I think it's how you respond now. I'm going to keep going. Josh Heupel, Tennessee C. Uh, and it was largely a shoulder stroke, not terrible, not great. Um, fall back after Tony Elliott stayed put. Heupel's record declined after each season. There are rumblings about recruiting down there. Offensive wizard, golden touch with quarterbacks. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know. <laughs> His track record speaks for itself. I don't know about offensive wizard. But um, and, and Tennessee's had a lot of transfers. Now they're getting some help in the portal, and you know he's responding too, just like any coach would when you're at a program with those kind of resources, things like that. But I'm just um, 
you know, I, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I don't know how you rank that higher over Beamer. And, you know, of all these guys, Beamer's the lowest rated C minus guy. Uh, I, I just, you know, based on some things that, you know, were unpleasant probably, but the Beamer has to respond. I just don't know that that, that grade's completely fair, but I'll remind everyone <laughs> Dabo was a D plus um, when he was hired uh, and that coaching higher grades in general, because it isn't an exact science. And, and look, if I were doing coaching higher grades, I would have been wrong a lot. And I've used this, you know, uh, Chip Kelly, Scott Frost, top two guys at Florida, they settle for Dan Mullen. Mullen goes and wins. Big. Kelly's struggling, Frost is struggling at UCLA and Nebraska. Um, you know, Matt, Tom Herman has been fired. <laughs> I mean, uh, if there was any guy, guy in the country that I thought would be an absolute star at the right job, it would be Tom Herman. Uh, and remember, Herman turned down LSU to go to Texas. They hire, they promote Ed Orgeron. Orgeron has a national championship and, and probably had one of the best seasons in the history of college football. And Herman's been fired and now works for the Bears as an offensive analyst. So, it, it, you know, and, and I don't think anybody would have rated the Orgeron hire over the Tom Herman hire when it happened. And, and that's just kind of how it is. Um, you know, and of course they they rated Gus Malzahn to UC, UCF a, a, an A. And I, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against that. I, I think Malzahn at UCF that's going to be a pretty good fit. And I, I think Malzahn got Auburned a little bit. <laughs> you know, of course Tommy Tuberville coached at Texas Tech and then at Cincinnati after Auburn. Won, but didn't win that big. So, so who knows? Who knows what the deal is down there? But, uh, you know, and Terry Bowden, of course, I just mentioned, never, you know, didn't really, hadn't really coasted the highest level again since Auburn. Um, but he tends to want to take some of these other jobs. And so we'll see. We'll see kind of what happens moving forward. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Beamer probably my gut feeling is going to be a little better than the C minus. And uh, I think if he's read this, it's probably going to give him more, even more motivation. Uh, I, I don't, I, you know, the, the only thing I really can jump up and down about, is, you know, you rated him below the hypo hire, the other hires in the division. I don't, you know, I know Clark Lee, look, great respect for him. Great respect for him taking the Vandy job. Great respect for the job he did at Notre Dame. Uh, know some people on that staff. Wish them the best. Vandy's a hard job. I mean, Vandy, you know, uh, they're hoping to get back to the Franklin days. Uh, so, you know, I mean, how is that a B? I mean, I guess it's a B for Vandy, but I, I just, I, I don't know. Um, you know, so I, I just don't know. I mean, and it's sort of the 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 words there are you know, ta most talented and likable guys, but never been a coordinator. I mean, I, I just – if you're talented, you're talented. And I think being a head coach is different than being a coordinator. The The thing is you have to do uh, – and I think this is why Beamer has the job. You have to have a track record in some way. If you've never been a head coach or a coordinator, you have to have some kind of track record that says, I know how to identify coaching talent 
And I think it's South Carolina the first time, if you look behind the scenes on that and how, you know, he helped Steve Spurrier put together arguably the best staff in school history. Uh, you know, Shane Beamer is the one that pushed for Ellis Johnson to come back after Brian Van Gorder left. How uh, Jay Graham, um, you know, those guys were all key. I mean, Ellis Johnson, Lorenzo Ward, Jay Graham, oh, they were just responsible. And Shane Beamer, those four guys were responsible for bringing Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Holloman, Jadevi, Clowney, Marcus Lattimore, and Alshon Jeffrey to the South Carolina Gamecocks. You know, so those guys, at least from a recruiting standpoint, I think the coaching during that time was great too. So, you know, I think he does have that. Now, there's no guarantee uh, that he's knocked it out of the park with this one. I think that you can look at Justin Stepp and Torrey and Gray and say those guys make a lot of sense, and thank God because they're at the, the positions that are the most needy at this point. Uh, you like what Pete Limbo's done, Greg? I mean, in the recruiting, but all you have right now is really recruiting and a spring game and a spring practice. And so we'll see sort of how it all plays out. But, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, like I said, the, these grades too, I mean, I, I think they're a lot like NFL draft grades where, you know, you, you kind of throw a grade on it and then you're usually wrong <laughs> down the stretch. Uh, and like I said, if I were doing this, I'd, I'd have been wrong a whole lot more than I was right as far as good hire, bad hire goes. So, you know, we'll see. I, I'm pretty sure Shane Beamer's going to end up being better than the C minus and the lowest rated guy uh, right here. Um, you know, more CBS, they say, Barrett Sally says, well, Steve Spurrier had it cranking when it got after opponents up front on both sides and had dynamic quarterbacks like Connor Shaw. Steven Garcia, Luke Doty isn't exactly Johnny Manziel, but he's a willing runner and they get creative. Well, that's true. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of fans will sit there and tell you that, um, hey, Gamecocks need a dual threat quarterback. They've been saying that for a while. Um, but then, of course, you, I think these days, too, you got to throw it. You have to be able to throw it. Um, and he mentioned Kevin Harris. Um, didn't really mention – Marshawn Lloyd or any of the other guys, but you know, Harris is coming back 1138 yards and 15 touchdowns. That's uh, that speaks for itself. So, you know, I, I think that uh, when you're talking about identity this year, the Gamecocks are probably going to be a running team with a running quarterback, uh, but a team that you know also could make some, some plays elsewhere on offense defensively. You know, who knows? I, I think that. The more you sort of look at uh, linebackers got issues, secondaries got issues, you, you sort of start to wonder, you know, obviously the strength is probably going to be up front, you know, so how good up front are they going to be identity wise? But, you know, I think too, though, when you look at Clayton White's system, the four two five system that he runs, and it's different than Ellis Johnson's, you know, they're going to have an identity on defense too. You know, I, I think there's probably – more of a question of identity on, on offense, but I think both sides are going to be pretty aggressive and physical uh, if you want to know that. So that's more from CBS about the Gamecocks from um, external, I guess, external people. And, uh, you know, that's good. Lots of, um, lots of respect for the guys at CBS. Obviously CBS sports is the parent company of 24 seven sports, which is where this podcast lives and which is where, 
TheBigSpur.com lives. And so I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing there to always cite them, even though I don't agree with that grade. And, you know, I, I obviously don't think that we're going to see a return to the Connor Shaw days. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit different than that. And, and obviously, because when you're running Steve Spurrier's offense, that's, that's going to be different. Obviously it's just one of those deals there. So that's the coaching. Great thing. Baseball tonight, big game. No other way around it. Gamecock sitting at 12th in the RPI. There's a, you know, talk about hosting sites or potential hosting sites being released this week. Um, John Whittle reported yesterday. He didn't even know if tonight's game is going to count because they may have already decided. Uh, 28, 17, number 12 RPI. I, I think that should put them in the conversation to be honest. Uh, you know, whether or not they get it, you know, I, I don't know that Carolina can sit there and go 13 and 17 in the league, you know, lose two and three to Kentucky and get swept by Tennessee or something like that. And, and, and be a host school. You know, I think they'd be happy to make it at that point, but um, you know, big game tonight up at Clemson, uh, you know, South Carolina has not pl- didn't play Clemson in football or men's basketball this year. Uh, some of you are saying, thank God. <laughs> uh, and probably, you're probably right. You know, I, basketball was supposed to be in Columbia. So I don't know, you know, had they not had COVID in December, who knows what that team would have played like in that game. Clemson was an NCAA tournament team though. So, you know, you know, I don't know about basketball. Football probably would have been ugly up in the Valley. Just, you know, Trevor Lawrence's last game against South Carolina, that probably – Probably would not have been pleasant, especially considering where the Gamecocks defense was by the end of the year. But they didn't play. You know, they didn't play. And and so the Gamecocks have already won the series, but a sweep would be nice. You know, it's it's not a win in football or a win in basketball, but the baseball series is very important, and a sweep would be nice. I mean, that's obviously, to the University of South Carolina, a very important game. But I said the same thing before the game in Charlotte against North Carolina, and they lost. So, <laughs> well, whenever you beat the drum up, this is a big game for the university. Anytime these two schools play in any sport, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out too well. But uh, that game's tonight, 6 o'clock, first pitch. You can watch it just like you've been watching some of the SEC Network Plus games on the ESPN app, the Watch ESPN app, and, you know, just go down and – if you get on that app and you're streaming it, you, you scroll down to where you see the sports and it has a picture of a baseball, um, which kind of looks like the basketball sometimes. But you scroll down and then you'll find it. It's it's there. It's part of the ACC networks. Actually, you know, even though the app's kind of a new thing, it's actually been a little easier, I think, to find baseball games and actually stream them on the TV instead of on your phone or something this year just because, you know, that Watch ESPN app makes things kind of – convenient uh, and things of that nature. So, so we'll see kind of what happens there tonight. Don't know about the pitchers, uh, but certainly, you know, after the win Sunday over Mississippi state, you'll get a win over Clemson. You got to go on the road to Kentucky, which is never easy. Uh, you know, game has got to gut it out. Uh, like I said earlier about sports, it's how you respond. I think, you know, twice now when things have been bad on a Sunday the Gamecocks, this team, which which I think is a good team, not a great team, um, have responded. They've gutted it out. They've started up at Vandy, 
uh, riding a six, what, six, seven game losing streak up at Vandy, gutting that game out the last game. And that led to some good things. Uh, and then against Mississippi State, backs against the wall. You know, you gut that out in extra innings, walk them off uh, on Saturday. I think that's a good thing. So, you know, responding is what's important, especially in baseball, uh, I think, because it's so streaky and you can go back and forth uh, and all that. So big, big situation tonight on the diamond. Uh, always is between Clemson and the Gamecocks. Mailbag. You can uh, get into the mailbag two ways. You can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Oh, but l- let me touch on this first. L- let me just touch on this first. Let me just touch. Oh, wait a minute. Tennessee has had another defensive back re-enter the transfer portal. Sean Schomburger. That is another guy that's, uh, yeah, he's a pretty good player. Mobile, Alabama guy, uh, native out of Colquitt County, Georgia, Sean Berger. Didn't allow a touchdown pass and 361 coverage snaps. Pretty good player. Uh, never got going during his senior season. So who knows? But that could be a guy I could see Carolina looking at, Sean, Sean Berger. Uh, from Colquitt County, Georgia, uh, Tennessee player. Another Tennessee player in the portal. See, this is what I mean. I mean, South Carolina has not had this type of of attrition. Um, now, South Carolina also does not have a, an NCAA investigation hanging over its head. But, and, and, you know, South Carolina also, while a lot of guys that left did come specifically to play for Will Muschamp, um, Muschamp also, I think, you know, unlike maybe Pruitt, who had a lot of guys that were just kind of there because of him, because Pruitt is a really good recruit, like Henry Toto, who went to Alabama. Um, you know, the game, game guys have some guys that I think actually enjoy being at South Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there we go. That's the deal there. That was a little breaking news. Want to talk about this, this Bob Caslin thing real quick. I, you know, like, like I, I was not – by the way, Carter Raffield will start for Clemson tonight, a freshman. Uh, I, I was not a fan of the Caslin hire, not because of who Caslin is politically, because I, I, I don't think that should matter. I, I, I don't think politics and, and your political beliefs uh, qualify you or disqualify you from running a major university, nor do I think having a degree, an advanced degree necessarily does. I, 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 I don't always believe that that's a hundred percent true. I understand if you're in academics that you kind of like those people to have been through the rigorous academics that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to pass along to your student body and all that. But I, I don't think that matters either. What, what I didn't like was how it went down. Um, because you had politicians overriding university leadership and that should never happen. That that's a, that's a, a very cartoonish, way to run a university and um since i was born <laughs> i've always been told politics hurt south university of south carolina and i thought quite frankly gamecocks and, and, and the gamecock family was, was beyond that and i guess that wasn't the case uh and so that you know the way that went down you know for lack of a better term pissed me off 
I, I just don't think that should have ever been a factor. Um, now, does that mean I, I agree with everybody that, that you know, the protesters and the, the, the academic student body that were just going after the guy because of his politics or uh, who he may have interviewed with a job for a job with? No, I thought that was stupid too. Uh, you know, I thought I don't agree with that either. Um, but I think we're starting to see that, you know, beyond how he was hired and I was willing to give him a chance, you know, this guy's probably not suited for this job. And South Carolina, again, this is one of those things since I was alive, uh, has always not done all that well with PR. And, and now you have a situation where at a graduation, he calls the school, the university of California, which is bad enough. And then you find out he plagiarized part of the speech word for word, um, did not give proper credit. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of speeches, people borrow and beg, borrow and steal when it comes to speeches sometimes. But, man, you, you got to be aware of that. I mean, it's just, it, it's just bad. Then you, you throw that on to the, you know, what happened with the General Assembly and, and the Frank Martin situation and how he handled that. And then you throw that on top of the constant gaffes during 2019 and and, and look, I just don't know. I don't know how much longer university leadership can continue to kind of to prop it up, especially when you consider it wasn't a hire that everybody rallied around to begin with. Okay. On top of that, the provost walked out the door the other day and took over at LSU. and, And he was a guy that was in the mix for the job. Pretty talented guy. Um, I think higher, I, I, I do understand the people that say, Hey, look, there is a, a political movement within higher education in our country that is not necessarily mainstream, so to speak. Uh, and, and I do understand the people that are frustrated by that, but I, I don't think you solve it by trying to put, uh, a political appointee and as your school president, I think what you need to do is, you know, vet school presidents, uh, regardless of their politics for, you know, how they treat people of all beliefs and, uh, and, and what, what sort of their, you know, what, what sort of doctrine do they want to pass down through their faculty? And is it one of inclusiveness and, you know, a, a marketplace of ideas or is it a rigid, you know, left or right wing agenda. And I think that's how you solve that is, is you got to vet the guy or, or gal, you know, uh, whether or not you agree with their politics, personal politics. So, all right. So that's my deal. And then, you know, does Caslin need to go? Uh, I think that, I think the board of trustees has it all of a sudden has a decision to make. Because, you know, right now, uh, looking at it beyond the sports deal, it, it's a PR disaster for the school. And uh, that's that's nothing to do with sports. Uh, and so, maybe. Uh, and I know some guys and gals on the board of trustees, and hopefully they do what they feel is right. But I, I think, uh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. Here's breaking news again. Apparently, Caslin did submit his resignation to the board, but they did not accept it. 
Wow. All right. So however you feel about that, the board of trustees has spoken. You guys can respond. I don't want to get into all of that right now. This is not an academic talk show, but I did want to address it just as somebody that, you know, we all care about, about university of South Carolina, and you know, how it's perceived and, and all that. I mean, you know, I, I think sometimes people get bullheaded when we talk, when I talk about they should let academic NCAA eligible athletes in no matter what. Uh, and people get bullheaded and talk about value of degree and all that. Well, this kind of crap, you know, lack of leadership, poor reputation, that's the kind of thing that can affect the value of your degree. I still don't think that the value of your degree means squat unless it's, you know, you're, you're working in an area where there's a lot of alums and then it's just about being an alum. It's not about like what you actually can do. Um, I, I still think that, you know, you just need to get the degree and then go work. And if you're talented, you're, you're going to be in a good spot, you know, now Ivy league degrees and things like that. And, you know, I think that's kind of what's wrong with the country right now. We have too many third, fourth generation Ivy leaguers who really aren't talented, but who got in because Diddy and granddaddy got into Brown or Yale or wherever. Uh, and they're thrust into leadership positions. And, and then you have things that, you know, go cattywampus in our country, but um, that's another topic too, JC. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's some breaking news. We have all kinds of breaking news here today. Uh, but yeah, so that's, um, Caslin submitted his resignation, but they did not take it. Poof. Oh, well. All right. So, mailbag. Two ways to get in the mailbag. Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, which many of you do. Please follow that account on Twitter or email inside the game at gmail.com. Lots of, uh, lots of talk on the Twitter account today. First one came in from James, um, and I addressed that. Thoughts on their C minus grade. Uh, we talked about C, you know, CBS. It's like pretty garbage take. James says, I would agree. I, I don't think it was, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just think that some criteria were maybe it was maybe used. And so, and look, and I'll say this too. And I've said this the national college football media, they love offense to the point where they just can't help themselves. But, uh, Look at the offense Hypel ran against bad teams at Missouri and UCF and, and think points and, and rate him higher than Beamer where they can't look and go points because he wasn't calling the plays. Offensive wizard was used. Okay, so write that down. Josh Hypel is an offensive wizard. And look, I guarantee you Tennessee scores 70 on somebody that's not, not ready for him this year. But then they're going to score seven against a good defense. <laughs> I saw it at Missouri, folks. Maybe it's changed. Maybe it's changed. I don't want to just – Vols have been through enough. Um, all right, so Jim says, what game this upcoming year can we look to to determine the identity of the team? Maybe the most important question is what game will the offense and defense be installed and can the players we have run it or we just have to ride it out and wait for new recruits? Well, I don't, I don't think you have to ride it out. I mean, I think – you know, each team during a coaching era is geared toward who they have. And, and I think the smart the smart thing is, you know, Shane Beamer and Mark Satterfield aren't coming in here going, you know, we're going to run it five wide, wide open, and we don't care if we have, you know, receivers that can catch a lick. 
this is what we're going to do. Uh, it's a very uh, versatile scheme. You know, everything from the use of the tight ends to the running game to using a running quarterback, not a running quarterback. I mean, you know, it's a very versatile thing. So I think it's, I think it's good. Um, as far as the game, when you can look to that, I, didn't, I think that East Carolina game will, will kind of show you. I mean, Eastern Illinois, they played this spring. They weren't very good. They're probably going to be better next year, you know, because the spring they, they didn't have all their players and all that. They're a proud program. Dino Babers coached Eastern Illinois. Uh, Tony Romo went to Eastern Illinois. Um, but um, I, I think that ECU game, second game of the year, East Carolina, Mike Houston, they're in their third year. They've been building. They're going to be fired up. South Carolina kids are on that roster. It's a big home game. Uh, Carolina, with, with it being the first true non-conference road game, not Clemson since 2013 when they went to UCF, I think Carolina's going to bring a sizable crowd up to Greenville, and ECU will sell their tickets too. It's a 50,000-plus seat stadium, so it's not like – you know, it won't be a great atmosphere. And I think ECU is going to come in and bring it. And so when you're on the road like that, and, and, you know, what's your identity? Are they going to have to go give it to uh, Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd, Zaquandre Wright 50 times and just run over them and out physical them? I mean, what, what, what's, you know, what, what's going to happen there? I don't think you're going to be able to tell so much at Georgia. Maybe you will. Um, and then that Kentucky game followed Georgia at least by then. Um, but but everything's going to be installed, you know, before the season. So we'll see sort of uh, what happens there. But I think I think that game at ECU, second game of the year, is going to tell you a lot. Uh, it, it's going to tell you, like, okay, this team has a chance to be pretty good because they do this well, this well, this well against teams that can't really – match up or, or against teams that have weaknesses because because i mean you know you look at like texas a&m's defense this year it's gonna be hard for anybody to move the ball against them you know alabama's gonna be able to do it and, you know <laughs> but uh a&m's got nine starters back from a salty salty defense from last year um so, so that's gonna be tough going down there and, and doing whatever but you know i think east carolina obviously they're not as talented probably not as talented as vandy missouri Kentucky, none of those teams. They're not as talented, but it's a, it's a road game. It's a game against a team that early in, in their season will be healthy. They got App State to open, and then nine days later they play the Gamecocks. So they're going to be a little bit tested. And so uh, I think that's the game that, that you, you see. Now, you said ride it out and wait for new recruits. I, I, think, I think to see the offense, you know, go – up and down the field or, you know, chunk it all over the yard and air raid type deal. You know, I, I think you're going to have to see um, them upgrade at receiver or somebody step up. But I think recruiting your way out of it at receiver is going to be big. And then with the secondary linebackers, I, I don't know how they're – I mean, they'll probably have to mask some of those deficiencies this year defensively. So you may have to wait to kind of see that too. But – as far as what they're going to do this year, I mean, this year's plan for this year's team will be this year. And, you know, they, I think they got a pretty good plan, but, you know, you don't play games on paper. Another breaking news, Colton Brennan, Heisman Trophy candidate, Hawaii quarterback, remember he led them to the Sugar Bowl against Georgia in 07. He has died at the age of 37. 
That's tough, man. Really, really tough. Had a serious car crash in 2010. Cause of death is unknown. Ah, it's been a breaking news. Breaking news Tuesday here. Pretty sad. All right, so thanks for your tweet, Jim, on that. Bullheaded, one of our favorite tweeters. Hey, JC, I saw Zion Nelson from Sumter High was projected to be a first-round pick at left tackle. Do you know where Carolina was in his recruitment? He was only 240 pounds coming out of high school. To me, it just confirms how hard it is to project kids. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, South Carolina liked him, but they 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 didn't gamble on him gaining the weight. You know, like Sedarius Hutcherson was a kid, 240 pounds out of high school, they gambled on him gaining the weight. You know, South Carolina did not do that with Zion, and Miami was just scouring the earth for offensive linemen and took him. He goes down there, he gains 45 pounds that offseason, starts uh, against Florida, if you remember correctly, in the, in the 2019 opener, and uh, struggled mightily, to say the least. was terrible, actually. Uh, but this is why you don't give up on players when they're freshmen, you know, <laughs> especially on the offensive line, because he's coming to his own. He's always been very athletic and you know, that's another example of a, of a South Carolina kid. That particular class, too, I think it was the 2019 class, had a lot of guys that were, like, picked up late by some some pretty big-name programs, if, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm going to look back on it right now. But uh, it was like, you know, things got late a little bit, and uh, some schools needed some players, and they came out. I think it was 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Um yeah, I mean, you had Davis Bevel going to Pitt, the quarterback from Greenville. Um, you know, you go on down uh, to some of these guys late, you know. Okay, so, my, so Zion was the number 29-ranked player per composite. Ended up going to, you know, going to Miami late. You had Jimmy Fritzke from Greenville, South Carolina High School, uh, another 240-pound lineman. He was 6'7". He signed with Nebraska late. Uh, you know, Nicholas Sheets from Greenwood signed with Washington State late. Um, you just had a lot of guys that uh, sort of the big boys came in and, and, and got uh, late in the in the late in the game. Malik Wesley, UNLV, seventy second in the state. So you know that's kind of how it all went there. But yeah, that twenty nineteen class was interesting because players ended up. I guess uh, pop it up late in the game. It was it was a deal where that year in state it was really Pickens and Smith, and then Tyon Evans was a high schooler then, but or Tion Evans, but then everybody else it was just kind of a mixed bag. Xavier Leggett was in that class. Luke Luke Deal, who surprised me at Auburn, was in that class too, number twelve. Um, that's also the year the kid from Irmo went to Missouri, and. Um, He's all SEC now, so missed out on that one. But anyway, that was that 2019 class. But that that was it. And look, that's one where you look back and you go, well, uh, it, it stinks that they didn't get him because it would have been nice to project him. But you underst- you sort of understood why. You know, some of these receivers out there that they didn't go on, you're you're like, you know, why? So. I'm just 
that's you know offensive lineman that was 240 pounds that's that's excusable Miami and Miami obviously it wasn't like they reinvented the wheel and had him top of the board that was a late gig because they needed a lineman uh, and it just worked out for him and that, that that's the kind of recruiting thing you can look at and go eh, well it'd have been nice to have hit on it but you know unfortunately it didn't happen but thanks bullheaded appreciate your time there Mitchell has an email and this is the final final mailbag question of the day jc hope all is well i got a question regarding carolina's football schedule for 2021 out of tennessee missouri kentucky which game will be most important for shane beamer and the gamecocks in the fall even though i do think tennessee is the least talented out of the three i do know for certain that knoxville and columbia missouri are tough places for the gamecocks columbia missouri really hasn't been and it's um it was last time they went out there, and it was in 2015, but I don't know. So I'd have to lean towards Kentucky because, as you mentioned in a previous podcast, if the Gamecocks want to close the gap in the East of Clemson, they start need, needing to beat – they need to start beating Mark Stoops' squad constantly. Frankly, it's embarrassing how the Wildcats can get high four-star recruits in the Big Ten area and how they make the Gamecocks look like Kentucky fried chicken on the football field the past seven years. Thanks for all you do, Mitchell. Very clever Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, reference there. Um, I'm a Popeyes guy. I, I can't do the KFC anymore. Kind of hurts my stomach thinking about it. But um, anyway, I, I agree. And look, Kentucky's up first. So obviously, if right now, out of those three, you're looking at one, you circle. It's Kentucky because because let let's say. Let's say the Gamecocks you know, beat Eastern Illinois and they beat ECU and they got to play Georgia and drop the game in Athens to, to what will probably be a top five Georgia team. Then you come back home the next week against Kentucky for the SEC home opener. It's really, really big if you win that. Because although the Wildcats have taken six and seven in Columbia, Gamecocks have, you know, could, could have a two game winning streak if they win it. And you, you sort of Lexington's been. I mean, look look at Lexington. Lexington's just a house of horrors. Okay, since since 2010, the Gamecocks have won in Lexington once. That was 2012, and that was when they had a much better team than Kentucky, and they still trailed it. I think 17-7 at one point. So Lexington's been a house of horrors. They lost in 2010. They lost in 2014. They lost in 2016. They lost in 2018. And they lost in 2020. So, one, two, three, four, five, five and one, you know, during this stretch. Now, in Columbia, Cats won in 15 and 17. Close game in 15. Game guys came back. Should have won that one. Should have had Perry Orth in there the whole time. Uh, and then 17 was one of the most disappointing losses in the history of the Will Muschamp era. Other than that, you know, they won in 2011 pretty easily, 54 to three. You know, kind of a game where they let them back in in 2013. That was Stu's first team. And then beat them 24 to seven in 2019. So, you know, you, you got to start this by refusing to lose to those guys in Columbia because that, that's what makes it bad. You know, those two losses, um, 2015 and 2017, those were bitter, bitter losses. Um, just from, like, my friends, uh, 
you know, you, you start in 2015 and beat North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kentucky's coming to town. And then you fall way behind and, and then you try to come back and it doesn't work out. You lose at home to Kentucky. Shocking. Uh, and then that 2017 game, I, I, I think I literally, after that game with some of my buddies, and I had, in fairness, I had to go to a funeral the day before. So I was kind of down in the dumps anyway. I turned my phone off, didn't watch pro ball. Sat on the porch with my buddy who's a Tennessee fan, and they had lost on the last second Felipe Franks pass uh, against Florida that same day. He sat out on the porch and nursed some ice cold ones and talked about life that day. I was like, I, I, I mean, literally, uh, and I don't take losses that hard, but uh, I take reaction to losses hard sometimes, though, with, with the folks out there. But uh, that was a bad, just for me personally, that I took that one as hard as any of them because. You know, Carolina's off to this great start, 2-0. They beat Missouri like a drum on the road, beat a good NC State team. You come home, you score on the first play. You had an interception, your first defensive play. And then the, the air goes out of the balloon, and Debo Samuel gets hurt, and you lose to Kentucky again. I mean, that, that just that game was awful, you know. And then 2019, you know, it was almost like that game was like, you better beat them. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you if you're looking at it like what's the most important right now. Now, I, I think Tennessee is always one of the three most important games on the schedule with Georgia and Clemson uh, every single year. And, and I say this every single season. And when the Gamecocks are beating Tennessee, people are like, nah, 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 nah. But when Tennessee turns it around like they have the last two years, Gamecock fans tend to agree with. Uh, and that's just because those are the two programs with with more potential uh, than Missouri, Kentucky, Vandy uh, to knock on the door of Georgia and Florida in the East. And um, you don't want those guys. Uh, and of course, we, we've said this for about 12 years now, and it's never happened. You don't want those guys getting it rolling again, because then you have the big three like you did in the 90s. And you, know, you saw the Gamecocks are kind of playing for fourth place most years. So uh, I mean that's I think that's the deal there. I think overall Tennessee's always uh, one of the three most important games on the schedule. But if you're talking about right now, I'd have to go with uh, Kentucky just because it's 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 the closest one. You know that's going to be pivotal, 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 pivotal. Uh, even if the Gamecocks happen to pull a miracle off and pull their second straight upset win in Athens, which I would not consider likely right now, but you, you never know. I wouldn't have considered it likely two years ago either. Um, you know, you, you, you go get a big win like that. You're three and zero. The place is packed, and you're losing home to Kentucky again. It's same scenario where the air gets let out of the bag. Uh, I will say this about that matchup: Kentucky's got a lot of good players coming back. Um, I think they're obviously doing well in recruiting right now. Keep in mind, none of those players are going to play this year. Uh, I, I will say that you know. I will say this, it's not a situation where, you know, I would expect South Carolina just to roll over Kentucky. But I do think it's a situation where that's a team the Gamecocks should be able to match up with. I don't think they're like an invincible, impenetrable force. I think a lot has to do – a lot of, a lot's going to come down to what this game is always about is can South Carolina – Stop the run and run the football. Now, another thing I would I would caution against: don't look at last year's Kentucky game 
and make that insinuate that there's that kind of gap between the two programs. That that's a situation where if you look at who was actually playing on the field for Carolina on defense in that game, they weren't going to stop anybody. I mean, they weren't going to stop Vanderbilt that night. I mean, it, it just, it was not going to happen. I mean, it's too much personnel was lost. Uh, and then Doty didn't, didn't have a great game at quarterback. And, you know, obviously Kevin Harris ran for 200 yards and the Gamecocks in that game, it was, it was weird because it wasn't like normal Kentucky Carolina games. Carolina was able to run it pretty well. Um, you know, so, so I think, I think Carolina at home next year, if they can run the football like they did in Lexington this past year, take the offensive performance, maybe Doty needs to be better, obviously. Uh, and then have a full deck of cards on defense. Uh, you know, I, I think South Carolina can win that game. You know, like I said, don't, I don't expect it to be a wide margin either way. Uh, but that's good. It's going to be a big one. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Mitchell. For that. All right, folks. Again, you want to get in on the mailbag, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod or inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. That's Apple Pods. Go rate us five stars or four stars or whatever you want to rate us. Appreciate that. Um, kind of was struggling a little bit with a stuffy nose today. I think it's warm outside, so I got a little allergies, maybe ingesting some pollen before I record. So I apologize for that. I was stumbling a little bit. Folks, enjoy the baseball game tonight. I'll be back later this week with more. J.C. Sherbert inside the Gamecast podcast bidding you adieu. Have a wonderful Tuesday, everybody.